so good to see all of you. We are continuing our series in Luke today. We are in Luke 1, uh, looking at the Magnificat 39 and on here. Uh, the song we sang earlier, Joy to the World, my favorite verse says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. When we come to the Christmas story, the Advent story, we can sometimes pass over uh, this thing that we, when we consider all this, we can pass over the Christ coming, that he is the second Adam. And he came to reverse the curse. John's gospel does a really good job of this, showing how Jesus' life and ministry is another Genesis event. Jesus is the one who's come to make all things new. He brings redemption and renewal and restoration. And here in the first chapter of Luke, we see the beginnings of this starting to take place before he's even born. You'll remember part of that curse, as far as it may be found, uniquely fell upon women in the pains of childbirth. And for thousands of years, there were no epidurals, no antibiotics, no painkillers, sutures, cesareans. Every baby conceived came with the very real risk of a death. And if there was fear involving pregnancies even, even now, today, can you imagine 2,000 years ago? The curse of sin was found even in something as beautiful and wonderful as pregnancy, just as it still is today. But despite the curse, there is a glory to motherhood. For God, all throughout history, has honored women by inviting them into cooperation with him and his redeeming activity through childbirth. God works through means, and he has chosen to work through the sons of Eve and the sons and daughters of Adam. In these two mothers, Elizabeth and Mary, we have officially reached that point in human history when God's promise spoken all the way back in that garden to, to Eve, was finally going to be fulfilled. You remember the shadows had deepened. Darkness had fallen. The tendrils of sin began to sweep over the earth due to man's revolt. And there in the midst of that chaos, God uttered a promise. And all that falls from God's lips must come to pass. He says, through motherhood, despite the curse... Despite the pain, I'll bring victory. The snake crusher shall come to reverse the curse, to redeem motherhood once and for all. And so we have two mothers, one old, one young, both unexpectedly pregnant, both filled with the Holy Spirit, with exceeding joy at what God is doing for them, for his people. Before we get in the text, I want to say something very quickly about Joseph. Poor Joseph. When we read this, we have to understand we're reading real history. It's part of what we've been doing with Luke. We've been working up to the steps. We've been getting up to the manger. And so we want to put ourselves into the real history and the real people involved. We want to un understand the story. We've discussed Zechariah. We're going to come back to him. But isn't it remarkable how mute Joseph is as well? Joseph never actually says one single word in all of Scripture. He's spoken of, but he never speaks. We're told what he's thinking, but he never actually says what he's thinking. <laughs> Scripture is 
strangely silent here as well with regards to how Joseph initially finds out. How does he find out about the pregnancy? It's, I think it's fairly easy. We can kind of decipher it a little bit here. In Matthew 1.18, it just says this. Before they came together, Mary and Joseph, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. How? How is she found out? Surprise! I don't think that's the case. I think Mary told him. I think she received the message from Gabriel. She knows Joseph is going to play sort of a big part in this whole marriage thing. And so she goes to him. She's humble. She's a believer. She has no reason to keep this hidden. She goes to him and she tells him. And then we do know his response. What would your response be? Obviously, he doesn't believe her. Can't really blame him. Matthew 119, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph, there's legal phrases here. He could have publicly humiliated her. He could have accused her of adultery, handed over to the authorities. He could have done that. He doesn't. Why? Because he's a just man and he cares for her. So resolving things quietly means giving her a bill of divorce, and he doesn't write why. He just hands her a bill of divorce quietly. And I think that's proof that Joseph really loves her. He really loves her. He really cares about her. He's a man with the law on his side. His heart is breaking. He has been scorned, and he decides to let her go quietly. Then we know the angel comes. Gabriel shows up again in a dream, declaring the mighty secret and validating Mary's words. And we read again in Matthew 1.24, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. That means that instead of postponing the marriage, he took her immediately into the home. He said, I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. I believe what the Lord has told me. He's going to give her her own, his own name in a tremendous act of faith and love. He says, I will bear this with you. I'm going to trust the Lord with you. Now we go back in our imagination. We talked last week about that Nazareth's, Nazareth atmosphere, the suspicious whisperings, the questionings that this young couple would have faced the rest of their lives regarding this event. Joseph would have to explain where Mary went for three months. Where's Mary? Oh, she's off visiting family. And then she comes back and now she has this bump. Oh, that's why you didn't postpone the marriage. Oh, you know, Joseph, you don't really look like Jesus, though, do you? No, he's mine. That's right. He's mine. He favors his mother. What was she up to those three months? Why did they rush that marriage? Mary could tell the true story, but who would believe her? Joseph had his vision. That's why he believed her. And again, if we're being honest, would we have believed her either? And so I just say all that because that's part of the story. It's part of the story. We have to put ourselves in the story. Why? What's going on in Mary's head? What's going on with Joseph and Zachariah and Elizabeth? What's, these are real people. Real people dealing with a very real issue that people still deal with today. Part of the prophesied sword that would pierce Mary's heart, I'm convinced was a suspicion of infidelity that would probably rest upon her the rest of her life, long after Joseph had passed on 
and was gone. She would live with that. Joseph would have to live with that. And by faith, they would raise their little boy. So our story picks up here. Mary now with Joseph's help and approval. She has to gather the necessary provision. She has to go make that long journey to Elizabeth's house as Gabriel had instructed her to do. A young girl traveling alone, that would have been uh, dangerous. She would have needed funds. She would have needed outside help. She would have needed somebody to take her along the journey. And so Joseph provides that as well, as well as an excuse for her absence. So let's read along. Follow along in your Bibles, if you will. Luke 1, 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Father, would you be with us as we contemplate these holy things, these heavenly things, Lord? Would you open the scriptures up to us through the power of your spirit? We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I love that immediately Mary goes. We read, with haste, meaning as quickly as she could. After she got the angel's message, she didn't dilly-dally. She, she took a couple days. She had to get ready, of course. But she goes with haste. We can go in our imaginations to that home in the Judas Hills, the hill country. Elizabeth is there, six months pregnant. She's kept the, the secret to herself this entire time with only her mute husband, Zachariah, keeping her company. Six months of silence to think, to brood, to ponder. Surely Zachariah had written out the angel's words on a tablet to her. The two had read them over and over and memorized them, smiled to each other and rejoiced at what God was doing. Sweet, old, pregnant Elizabeth conscious of the fact that she was living upon the dawn of that glorious day which countless numbers of her people had sighed and suffered and longed for all their lives to see the Messiah was coming. And then these two mothers meet. And there had been no telegraph, no phone call, no email to announce Mary's coming. 
Elizabeth is not outside waiting on the porch to flag her down inside. Elizabeth is inside, busy with something or other. She's nesting. And then Mary enters the home. And I can almost imagine her peeking her head in the door as, you know, Elizabeth! Elizabeth, it's, it's me, it's Mary! And then they are face to face. Elizabeth gasps. She can't breathe. Mary is glowing. Elizabeth is glowing. She knows Mary's secret. Mary knows her secret. Two women about to spill the beans. It's a beautiful picture. Verse 41, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a great spiritual mystery at work here as The holy seed within Mary approached the unborn herald. A spiritual consciousness linked them together. And it caused John to leap within the womb. I'm sure Elizabeth had felt John kick before. This was something new entirely. This was the forerunner of the king jumping for joy at the sound of Mary's voice. Elizabeth herself is filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning something supernatural Illumination of sorts comes upon her immediately as well. She knew before Mary said anything that Mary was God's tabernacle. That within Mary was the Lord of glory. And then Luke gives us this this precious little wonderful note. Verse 42. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. This old woman after six months of silence and secret keeping had found her voice. And she explodes with joy, with heavenly song of poetry. Laugh, Elizabeth. Laugh with excitement, for behold, the Lord is doing a new thing, which is really just an old thing. Which is really just an old thing that he promised to Sarah and Abraham all those years ago. Verse 42, Blessed are you among women, And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Why is Mary blessed? Why does Mary have this good fortune? Elizabeth tells us in 45. She's blessed because she Believed. Because when the angel's words, when God's words came to her, she believed. The angel said, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You will conceive. Mary responds, let it happen to me according to your word. I believe it. Faith hears the promises of God and it takes hold of them. Faith says, yes, Lord, I believe I will obey. If we jump ahead to the book of Luke and the book of Luke to Luke 11, 27 through 28, there's this anonymous woman in a crowd and she cries out to Jesus. She's seen Jesus working. She's seen him doing something. And, and she cries out, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Jesus replies, blessed rather are those who hear the word of, the God, of God and keep it. And so Jesus himself affirms what Elizabeth says. Why was Mary blessed? Mary was blessed because she believed. And all who hear the promises of God today, who hear the gospel and believe, are blessed as well. 
Underneath Elizabeth's blessing, there's something deeper going on as well. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, finds herself sounding a bit like Moses. In Deuteronomy 28, Moses is standing on the banks of the Jordan River, and God's people are about to cross into the Promised Land. Moses cannot go. He cannot go with them, but his blessings will go with them. And he says, You, O Israel, obey the voice of your God. And he starts laying out blessing after blessing. If you obey the Lord, ten verses of blessing will come upon you. <clears throat> and this is what Elizabeth is borrowing from. Deuteronomy 28.4. Moses says, Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. These are the blessings for all those who obey the word of the Lord. Blessings for Israel at the edge of fulfillment of God's promises. And blessings for us today at the edge of the coming of Christ. God shall be our God and we shall be his people. So let us believe, let us obey, and let us receive his blessings. And then Elizabeth says one more thing harkens us back to the Old Testament. She says this, Blessed are you among women. And if we turn to the book of Judges, in 524 we read of Deborah, who just like Elizabeth is singing a song in the spirit of the Lord. And she says, Most blessed of women be Jael. Who's Jael? What has Jael done? Do you know the story? One humble woman named Jael, acting all alone, single-handedly, took down the commander of the Canaanite forces by driving a tent stake through his forehead. And here's little Mary, bravely carrying Christ, our great Savior, who himself will strike the head of the forces of our enemy. And will defeat them once and for all. Not one commander, but all the forces, sin, death, and the devil. And so she says, Mary, you're like Jael. And Elizabeth sounds like Moses and Deborah. Elizabeth was a daughter of the old economy. It's fitting she's now the first singer of the new one. She's familiar with this all her life. She's, she's heard these words. The voice of a daughter of a priestly line of Aaron singing the Advent to him whom all the old had looked. Isn't that glorious? It's just wonderful. And it tells us that God's promises echo and they reverberate throughout time in the words and actions of his people. Well, now it's Mary's turn to sing. And much like Elizabeth, we note that Mary's entire song is filled with quotations from the Old Testament. Nevin's talked about it already today. It reveals to us not only that Mary's knowledge of the Hebrew Bible, she, she was a good little Jewish girl, but she had grown up in a faith community that was, was teaching her this and singing these songs around her. And so when she sings this song of praise filled with the Holy Spirit as she is, it's no wonder to us she sounds like the Bible. She sounds like Scripture. If we dissect the song itself, it really has two main components. The first is her celebrating God in her own experience. And the second is all about her celebrating what God has done for others, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Listen to the prayer of the prophet 
Habakkuk. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, he says. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. From two sides of God's promises, a prophet of God and a virgin are singing duet. Habakkuk heard God's word and he believed. Salvation, God said, Habakkuk, will come for my people. He said, I believe it. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Now she's singing with Gabriel. Gabriel, who had said the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Yes, she says, he is mighty and he is powerful. Gabriel saying he will be great. And Mary echoes great things for me. And oh, what great things he has done for us as well. And then she moves from what God has done for her to celebrating God himself. Verse 49, holy, she says, is his name. Gabriel has said he would be called holy, son of God. And Mary chimes in, holy is his name. Gabriel saying of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary harmonizes and his mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation which is also a paraphrase of Psalm 103:17. Kingdom without end. Mercy from generation to generation. Mary sings with the prophet of old to show God's promise keeping in her present. And then she repeats the sounding joy of Gabriel to show the new thing God is doing through the birth of her son, Jesus. These words of this song wash over us today. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mercy, Mary says, from generation to generation. Christ comes with mercy and with healing in his wings. No condemnation, Romans says, for those in Christ Jesus. We were caught red-handed in our sin and shame. All the evidence pointed to to my guilt, to your guilt, and we looked to Christ and we cried, mercy, Lord, mercy. Mercy for enemies, mercy for rebels, mercy for those who, who laughed at the promises. And spat upon his grace. Yes, Mary says, mercy. Mercy not because we deserve it, but because he is gracious. Because God's grace comes to us not based upon our merit, but based upon Christ's merit. Not on our goodness, but God's goodness. And then by faith, we grab hold of the gift and we tear it open in obedience. (coughs) Mary has talked about God's holiness and God's mercy. And now she moves to God's might. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. These verses in the Greek are confusing. They're in something we call an aorist. Hence, I'm not going to bore you with that. 
But it causes exegetes, it causes scholars to go, what's happening here? Is Mary talking about God's actions in the past? Is she talking about his actions in the future or his habitual day-to-day actions? And the answer is yes. Mary is talking about all three. He has shown strength with his arm. This has strong ties to Psalm 89.10 where God crushes the carcass of this great sea serpent and he scatters his enemies. And it's nothing to him. Nothing to him. And so Mary's saying, only because the mighty Lord has done mighty things, is there any good news to tell? Because that same mighty God will continue to do mighty things in the present and in the future. He alone is mighty. In our day and age, we have so much evil to contend with. We're constantly reminded of the hate that people feel towards one another, whether it's a different political party, a different race, or simply hatred for no apparent reason. You see, that's how sin works. We can hate somebody else for no reason. No reason. And in this sinful, hate-filled world, which we, we live in, we know we live in this, we have these things called weapons of mass destruction. We have bioweapons capable of destroying us all. And who can press those buttons behind those weapons? Just a, a few sinful men, nothing to worry about. Can we ask them not to? Well, sure. Will they listen? Of course not. Nobody in high places throughout all of history has really cared very much about the individual little citizen. And if I left it there, you, you should leave here in despair. To know that we might be helpless to prevent a handful of wicked individuals from dooming us all with a button should leave us in despair. But not if, not if you hear Mary, this little virgin in Judah, singing this glorious song. He has shown strength with his arm. He's done it in the past. He's doing it now. And he does it in the future. And so for the Christian, our situation never ends in despair. Hope. We have hope. We worship the Mighty One. We are the kids of the Mighty One. And one of the mighty things He does, Mary says, is a complete reversal of human values. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Just as He scattered the sea serpent and his enemies. He has scattered the proud, Mary says, and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. History is, is filled with that being true. <laughs> of these great leaders and kings and rulers being torn apart by something so insignificant. Being felled by the, the smallest little thing and, and God sits enthroned in heaven and he laughs. And notice the proud here are proud in their hearts. It's not just arrogant actions God sees. It's the prideful hearts that also condemn us. The so-called mighty ones are brought down from their thrones. Those of humble state are exalted. All those kings, those queens, those corrupt rulers, all their evil deeds, well known. Well known to the mighty Lord. All of it shall be 
exposed and dealt with. That's the kingdom that Jesus spoke about so often, where sinners are justified and forgiven, where the humble are raised up, the proud are brought low, where beggars, tax collectors, and outcasts are welcomed as friends, where those with earthly might are exposed as utterly weak before the might of our King. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And Jesus says, if you want to be first, then what do you got to do? You become a servant. You humble yourself, for God opposes the proud. And if your enemy strikes you, what do you do? You turn the other cheek. You reverse the natural order of things. If you want to save your life, first you must... Lose it for Christ's sake. This is the backwards, upside down kingdom of God. And it's glorious. I wonder if Caesar or Herod the Great ever knew the names of Mary and Elizabeth. If they had known them, would they have cared? These Mighty men of history, completely unaware that two little women in Judah were more blessed than they ever would be. (laughs) It's hilarious what God does, who he chooses. What about a handful of fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, and some other random guys? Who were Peter, James, and John before they met Jesus? Nobody's. Nobody's. What about you? Who were you before you met Jesus? Who are you now? Are you aware that our great God uses foolish things, little things in this world to shame the wise and the mighty and the proud? Are you aware that a stick in the hand of Moses became the staff of the living God? What will the Lord do with you? Take heart, little flock. Our mighty king has overcome the world. He is mighty. Verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. Again, that's numerous Old Testament passages. One of which was our call to worship. Hannah's song, which we talked about. Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. And it foreshadows what Jesus is going to do in his own teaching as well. He feeds 5,000 people. At the Last Supper, he feeds his disciples and he feeds us until we go with him again. Every month we eat at his table. God looks to men's needs. He does not look to their bank accounts. The Lord feeds his sheep and he promises that those who hunger after the deep things of God may justly look to him to satisfy those needs as well. Not just your physical needs, your spiritual needs. He has everything you could ever need. Finally, Mary ends with God's faithfulness. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. Again, the Greek is a bit awkward, but the idea is this. By sending his blessed son, God was to help Israel in accordance with his promise to Abraham forever. Jesus' incarnation was God's way of remembering his mercy to Abraham and to us as Abraham's descendants forever. Mary's saying, 
God keeps His promises. My son, Jesus, will be living proof for all time of God's covenant-keeping promises to all generations. What He says, He does. And you can rely on Him. Don't forget that simple fact. We serve a God who can be relied upon at all times. And we should trust him. He's not forgotten his promises to us. All the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Jesus. Verse 56, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. With John's birth, there would have been people coming and going, and it would have been loud and bustly, and with Mary's soon-to-be-very-apparent condition, it was best she leave. So we read that she returned home. And as I mentioned earlier, it was most likely Joseph's home, which was now her home. She went with so much glorious, wonderful news. Three months of beauty and joy and laughter to tell Joseph about. Oh, Joseph, wait till you hear what God has done. What message will you go home with today? I wonder. Will you leave this place? You've heard divine things. You've heard supernatural things. Could you leave this place and be content to go back to a normal way of life? I sure hope not. I sure hope that you won't darken these doors just once a year, twice a year. I sure hope not. God had a plan for Mary. God has a plan for you. Your life is not meaningless. Your life is part of God's glorious song. Your life was so precious to God, he sent his beloved son Jesus to die so that you might live. So that you might live abundantly, Jesus says. So that you might sing a new song. And if you're being honest with me, couldn't some of you use some music in your life? Couldn't you use some forgiveness and peace? Wouldn't it feel good to cast years of shame and guilt and depression and addiction at the feet of the cross today? (laughs) Wouldn't that feel good? To look to Christ and say, I believe. Friends, I, I pray you return home with that story Today, that good news firmly planted in your heart. You could have walked into this place, the greatest sinner, the champion dropout, the biggest deadbeat of all time. And you can leave this place with a melody of hope on your lips. Not despair, but hope. All your sins, past, present, future. Mary says God is working. He has worked He is mighty. And if you would but look to the one to whom she and the prophets sang about, you would be saved. Look to Christ. What message will you bring home today? Let's pray.